I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, get ready for the next big documentary series, which focuses on one of the greatest, if not the greatest, basketball player of all time. Plus... I'm Jeff Braun. Better Call Saul gets ready to wrap up its fifth season, while Survivor got everybody crying this week. I'll also tell you about the latest show I'm watching on Netflix, an amazing thriller called Money Heist. When it comes to entertaining television, there are still few things that I find as electrifying as something that was quite familiar to sports fans in the 1990s. You don't even have to be a sports fan to enjoy this. The introduction for the NBA's Chicago Bulls, set to Sirius by Alan Parsons Project. I wasn't even a fan of the Chicago Bulls. In fact, I hated the Chicago Bulls. But I respected them, and I respected Michael Jordan. And starting this upcoming week, he will be the subject of a 10-part doc on ESPN. Just gonna let this play out, because why not? I love that bit at the end. The head, and the head coach of the Bulls is Phil Jackson. Thanks for indulging me and letting me play that out. It's just goosebumps, man. Goosebumps. And documentaries are so popular these days. So many of us, for example, have watched or planned to watch Tiger King on Netflix. And I suspect this is going to be a smash hit, too. It's about Michael Jordan. It's called The Last Dance. It was supposed to debut in June, but they bumped it up to April because sports fans are losing their minds. They need to watch something. And in terms of quality documentaries, ESPN makes excellent documentaries. Their 30 for 30 series of docs, just amazing. Bron, have you watched any of the 30 for 30 episodes? I've watched many of them, and the basketball ones actually always seem to be the best ones. Yeah, they did one on the Fab Five from the Michigan uh, Wolverines. You remember the the Fab Five freshmen back in the early 1990s? I hated those guys, just despised them, and that documentary completely changed my perspective on them. Like, I hated them well into adulthood. I was a teenager then, but uh, when I finally watched it, I think a couple of years ago, it just changed everything. And that's how good these documentaries are. They also did a really good one on Christian Leitner, who was a foe of the Fab Five. So Reggie Miller versus Spike Lee is a really good one, too. Oh, man, yeah. See, like that, I got I to gotta seek that one out. But this one, The Last Dance, 10-part series, it starts on Sunday on ESPN. They're going to air back-to-back episodes every Sunday for five weeks, and the episodes will be available in Canada on Netflix on Monday. Here's a preview. 
You guys not allowed? No, I'm just kidding. What time is it? My mentality was to go out and win at any cost. Jordan is the most talented player in the NBA by far. The show of the 90s, the team of the 90s. How you doing? Whenever they speak Michael Jordan, they should speak Scottie Pippen. We created an image that people want to live up to. I think that's all you can hope for. So what's the last dance about? Well, here's the official description. In 1998, Michael Jordan won his sixth and final title with the Chicago Bulls. A film crew was granted unprecedented access all season long. This 10-part documentary chronicles the untold story of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls dynasty with rare, never-before-seen footage and sound from the 1997-1998 championship season, plus over 100 interviews with famous figures and basketball's biggest names, including Jordan himself. Himself, Phil Jackson, Scottie Pippen, Steve Kerr, Dennis Rodman, Pat Riley, Charles Barkley, Dikembe Mutombo, Patrick Ewing, Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, Kobe Bryant, the late Kobe Bryant, Gary Payton, Adam Silver, Bob Costas, Barack Obama, Justin Timberlake, and more. Now listen, there are a few athletes who transcend not just their sport, but sports, period. Michael Jordan is one of those rare guys. He will always be regarded as one of the greatest, as mentioned if not the greatest basketball player ever. But the documentary is going to show the good, the bad, and the ugly. And Jordan himself, he says the documentary is going to make people think he's a horrible guy. He was notoriously competitive, and he held himself and his team to a higher standard. So if his fellow players weren't up to that standard, he'd let them know, and he'd push them as hard as he could. He says he did it because he needed them to be tough so they could endure the grind of the playoffs and conquer the league. Tough to argue with his methods, man. The guy led the team to six championships. Bron, did you like uh, Michael Jordan? I did, and I actually have vivid memories of my roommate and I watching the 98 finals when they played the Utah Jazz. And uh, it wasn't on the list there, but I assume Carl Malone and John Stockton are going to get some screen time too, even though because they they had to you know play against these guys all through that final series. But and yeah, we're just glued to it like you wouldn't believe. And I haven't watched a whole lot of basketball in my life, but I specifically remember watching Jordan win that sixth championship. Yeah, and here's the thing. Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls are the reason why I really don't watch pro sports anymore because I, I was a huge, huge basketball fan. I paid attention to all the sports, but basketball, I lived for it. I breathed it. I ate it. It was my life. And every year I rooted against the Bulls. I was never a huge fan of the teams they were playing. Like, I liked Clyde Drexler and the Portland Trailblazers, and I liked Carl Malone and the Utah Jazz, but I just didn't want Michael Jordan to win again. I think it's because everybody loved Michael Jordan, so uh, I, maybe I just wanted to go against the grain. I don't know. But uh, I I think also it's because uh, the Bulls beat the Lakers for their first title, if memory serves, and I was a huge fan of Magic Johnson and the Los Angeles Lakers, so I kind of dec- declared war on the Chicago Bulls. So (laughs) six NBA championships later, I said, what? I'm out. I'm done. I can't handle the agony anymore. The agony of defeat just as a fan. But as mentioned, so much respect for Jordan and what the Bulls accomplished. So this looks great. And hey, as far as him being a jerk, tough to argue with his methods. He led the team to six titles. 
So again, that'll be available on Netflix as of Monday. And now you told me something a couple of days ago, and I said, what? What? Finally! I know. It's a show that's both new and old. It popped up on Netflix recently. It's the sitcom Community. Find out what millions of fans are tweeting about. You might be a genius. Community, the critically acclaimed series, is back. Those bastards, they finally did it. You might learn a thing or two. And I mean literally a thing or two. Offering courses in computer science. Did you use a phrase I coined in the 90s? I'm going in. You coined that. Lock and load. That's mine, too. All right. Hospitality. I'm a bartender, Annie. I know a little more about the human side of service. I can't eat this. Can I get my money back? You're human garbage. Theater arts. You are the worst. First actor I've ever directed, and I directed both Walberts! And Ladders. Who wants to see the ladders, Professor? Go higher! Ladders! It's never too late to go back to school. Did we give a degree to a dog? Not that dog. <laughs> Community was an NBC sitcom that debuted on NBC, obviously, in 2009 and ran for five seasons. It follows the hijinks of a motley crew of students at Greendale Community College, a terrible college that, as we heard there, offers classes such as ladders. It was incredibly funny, rapid-fire dialogue combined with a lot of silliness, and it stored Joel McHale, Chevy Chase, Allison Brie, Ken Jong, Donald Glover, and many more. There was also a weird battle on the internet amongst fans at the beginning, arguing over which was better, Community or Modern Family, which debuted at the same time. I never really got that, coming from a why does one have to beat the other, why can't we just enjoy both shows kind of place. Unlike Modern Family, though, Community never took off in the ratings, and credit to NBC for keeping it on for five years, but then it was cancelled. They had already lost Chevy Chase, who never really clicked with creator Dan Harmon, and they were about to lose Donald Glover and Yvette Nicole Brown. There was a groundswell from the fans calling for a sixth season. After all, the show's motto was six seasons and a movie, which is an inside joke we don't have time to get into. And then, in what was maybe the first example of what became a more common occurrence, another broadcast swooped in and saved the day, sort of. That broadcaster was the new streaming service Yahoo Screen, which was looking to launch and wanted something big to announce, so they went with Community, and a a sixth season was made, 13 episodes in all. Now, that was the story if you live in the United States. If you lived in Canada, it takes another twist. Yahoo Screen Canada had a landing page dedicated to Community, promising that new episodes would appear, but they never did. That stupid page sat there empty, taunting me for weeks. I kept checking. I kept hoping that maybe it just started a week later in Canada, or two weeks later in Canada, or a month later in Canada. I tried to email them. I tweeted at them. I never once got a reply, and the episodes never did appear. Community was finished for good after that sixth season, and Yahoo's screen was soon finished as well. And I imagined I could have easily downloaded the episodes if I really wanted to, but I was so upset at that Yahoo screen blunder that I just turned against the show. I never watched them. I honestly never really thought about the show again. I just cut it right out of my life. And I was a huge fan, except for season four, when Harmon was fired for a year and the show just wasn't funny, like screamingly unfunny somehow. But now the show is on Netflix, including that missing sixth and final season. So if you like the show and you never downloaded season six, that means there are 13 new episodes sitting there for you. I watched the first couple and I laughed out loud a lot, even though nearly half the original cast is gone at this point. There are a bunch of running jokes 
notes I'd also forgotten about, so I didn't get them all. But I'll go back someday and rewatch the whole series from the beginning. If you've never seen it and you want a fun, often strange comedy show to binge, I highly recommend Community. The Paintball episodes are the highlights each year. You'll you'll know when you see them. As is there's a Halloween episode where they all turn into zombies. So all sorts of zany stuff. But I, I'm I'm glad that. There's some closure now with me and the saga of Community, which was at one time one of my very favorite show, and then it got just so sour for me over that Yahoo screen thing. Yeah, that Yahoo blunder. I remember you were mad, and I remember how much you loved this show. You talked about Community as much as humanly possible. <laughs> I know. So I, I, it's a show that I, I enjoyed whenever I watched it, and I still like to say, you know, that's uh, this is streets ahead. Yeah, uh, Chevy, a weird Chevy Chase thing that, again, you, all these things take so much setup or whatever, but the payoff is always so good. Yeah, what did he say? Uh, streets ahead is a verbal wildfire. <laughs> <laughs> and someone said, oh, I don't get it. And he says, well, then you're streets behind. <laughs> <laughs> hey, up next, we're going to tell you how much money Trolls World Tour made with its digital release this past weekend. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. In a moment, we will tell you how Trolls World Tour did with its digital release. But first, let's tell you what's coming to home video this week. Hi! Oh, that is hand-stitched leather. You better drink it. We ride this thing till the wheels fall off. Bad boys for life. Glasses on. That was a bad throw. Damn, Mike, you were right about the glasses. He's in like HD. Bad boy for life. Mike, I had no sex in a long time. Sometimes I go to the internet and I look up weird markets. We can hear you. Oh! <laughs> Jeff Braun, what was that? That was obviously Bad Boys for Life, starring Martin Lawrence and William Smith, uh, the third <laughs> in the series of the Bad Boys movies, right? Yes, <laughs> William Smith. Are you laughing because I said William Smith? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's over 50 now. He probably wants to be treated like a grown up. <laughs> uh, yeah, the third Bad Boys movie. And this one stunned me when it came out and its reviews were good. 77% on Rotten Tomatoes yeah. because the first two Bad Boys movies were not uh, very were not well received at all. I'm just looking up Bad Boys 2, 23%. So I thought, why are they making a sequel to a movie that I mean, I, I know it had its following. A lot of people love these movies, but critics hated them. 43% for the first one. But yeah, it did well with uh, critics, and uh, looks like it did okay at the box office. So have you, did you, I can't remember. Did you see this one? No, I haven't even seen the first two. And when this one was coming out, I was like, oh, I should get maybe watch those first two. And people were going, oh, they're awesome, they're awesome. And then I did like the, I looked them up on Rotten Tomatoes. I was like, these look like they're terrible. Like nobody seems to like these movies. Why is there? Why do they have such a following? Can you explain it? I think there's just a, sort of an affection for that first one. It was one of Michael Bay's earlier movies, so I mean he had such a unique style, and it, you know Will Smith was just his his star was really starting to ignite. I mean he was already a big right. star from TV, but he was becoming a movie star, and they, they were a good comedy pair. So I think it was just one of those '90s action movies that people enjoyed, regardless of whether or not it was a good film. It was just an entertaining movie. It had a young tale. In it, she was super sexy in that. So yeah, uh, but this third one looks like it was fun, and it was a big hit. Bad Boys yeah. for Life, four hundred and nineteen million dollars worldwide. Uh, so there you go. Yeah, at this point, stands to be one of the biggest movies of the year. Yep. And uh, what about the other one that's out for on Blu-ray DVD on Tuesday? 
It's called The Gentleman from Guy Ritchie, and that had the thing where the trailer was terrible. Every time I saw that trailer, I got a little bit, I got like more angry with it. I was like, I'm not going to go see that movie. That looks like garbage. And then it got pretty decent reviews too, 74%. And I've heard anecdotally from people who saw it, they said it was a lot of fun. So I might have to check that one out at some point as well. Guy Ritchie returning to form, uh, maybe recapturing some of his earlier glory with Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch. Did you ever see that other one he did? Rock and Rolla? No, I, I dropped out of him after Snatch. Oh, I think Gerard Butler's in it. Oh, maybe I'll get around to it. Then. I need to... I, okay, I got to confirm that, and I know <laughs> we said we are going to tell you about Trolls World Tour. We'll do that in a second. Yes, Gerard Butler is in it, Braun. You got to watch Rock and Rolla so you can continue... It's on the list. <laughs> the Butler-verse. Okay, <laughs> up next, we promise, we'll tell you about Trolls World Tour, and then we're going to talk about the most emotional episode of Survivor I think I've ever seen. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are The Couch Potatoes, as promised. An update on Trolls World Tour, the first movie intended for theaters, which was released digitally last week. Who's ready to rock? Prepare for battle. Let's go save the world! can stop the feeling. A smooth jazz troll? I'm being paralyzed by its I can't feel my face. So, was really curious to see how this was going to play out. Uh, The first movie, meant for theaters, getting a digital release. And Universal, of course, they came out and boldly proclaimed early this week that it was a record breaker. It smashed all digital records, but they didn't give any numbers. And I thought, oh, come on, is this going to be like, you know, when Netflix Netflix will say that uh, they, they always release their numbers in kind of sneaky ways. They'll say like 50 million people watched this series. Well, not necessarily. It might be 50 million million people who checked out an episode or watched a couple of minutes of an episode it's like how facebook counts you know if you scroll past a video that counts as a view uh because it starts playing as soon as it's in on your on your window but the the news came out actually just today as we record this on thursday that trolls world tour reportedly earned 50 million dollars in its video on demand opening yeah that's impressive i'm just looking at this story from screen rant they say in a perfect world it would have rolled out in theaters last week and as originally planned but of course the pandemic has shuttered movie theaters all over and sent major releases to either later in the year or to 2021 so universal made the unprecedented decision to forego a traditional theatrical run for trolls world tour making it available on demand and And just by comparison, the first Trolls movie back in 2016, its opening weekend was $46.5 million in theaters, singing its way to $347 million worldwide. So the opening weekend is more impressive. Curious to see what its staying power is going to be. But yeah, that's huge. $50 bucks, And it's available on so many different platforms. Uh, You can order it through your PVR. You can get it through Google, through Apple. So I think that's a huge victory for uh, Universal. Oh, absolutely. Like, well, I guess if that first one made 46, because I would have thought this thing would, like it would never make 50 million in theaters on opening weekend because the Trolls universe isn't as beloved as, you know, Pittsburgh or Pittsburgh, Pixar or a lot of the other <laughs> animated stuff. Oh, why do I got Pittsburgh in my mind? That's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. 
But yeah, so 50 million, I can't imagine they thought it would be that much. But the drop off, you gotta believe, is going to be huge because, you know, for a trip to the theater, that might be like, oh, we'll go next weekend. We've got too much stuff going on this weekend. You know what I mean? Yeah. That'll push people out of opening weekend. But when last weekend was a long weekend and everyone was at home and this weekend's a regular weekend and everyone will be at home. And it's not like if you didn't have time to watch it last weekend, it's not like, you know what I mean? Like, just time isn't a factor. So if you wanted to see it, you would have easily had time by now to have seen it. Yeah. So uh, I might even, I'm curious to watch that first one because I know it's a movie for kids, but I love these cartoons. They're always so colorful and imaginative and the music is, looks like it could be fun. So uh, who knows? Maybe I'll check out some trolls if I need something. (laughs) Plus, I mean, in in this day and age where everything is, you know, there's so much serious news going out there. Sometimes a happy cartoon with singing and dancing little trolls. Like, that sounds kind of like a great cure to clear up some of those doldrums. All right, let's move on now to one of the best shows on television, Jeff. Better Call Saul wrapping up its fifth and penultimate season Monday night on AMC. So, what happens next? Well, do you know something you're not telling me? Yeah. Don't think I don't see you, eh? You're asking for information you can't have. You're not going to do it again. Oh, my God. Better Call Saul, the season finale, Monday night at 9, only on AMC. Better Call Saul having one of its best seasons. I don't know, probably my favorite so far. I forget a lot of the early stuff with the show, though. I do remember wishing that they would sort of get on with it already earlier on. I grew very tired very quickly of all the stuff with his brother. I'm glad they're long done with that. This season became considerably more interesting now that all these storylines are converging with each other. It used to be like there were two different shows, the Jimmy McGill, I'm a lawyer show, and then the drug cartel show, and now that they've, you know, met each other, collided, and it feels like they're all part of the same show. Um, There's one thing that happened this season that really kind of... I don't know if it blew my mind or what, but it's just in the world of Nebraska, it's been established from the beginning that the current day post-Breaking Bad world that Saul is in is in Omaha, Nebraska. We've had only very brief glimpses of it at the beginning of each season. A few weeks ago, though, the show had a flashback for Kim when she was a child, and that was also in Nebraska. Now, I'm not saying they're connected, but this show pays extremely close attention to every little detail, so there's no way that was an accident. It'll either mean something, or at the very least, was thrown in there to make us think it'll mean something. It's a deliberate move for sure, so I'm curious to see how that plays out. Frankly, it gives me hope that Kim was alive at the end of all this, even though Each week it feels like she's got one foot deeper in the grave getting too involved with the likes of Lalo, who we know is pretty much pure evil. Lalo, though, has brought a fun, menacing energy to everything this year, and I can't wait to see what they have in store for us for a finale on Monday, Brett. Kim Wexler. From the beginning, I I liked her. She was kind of this steely, sort of stoic, uh, almost flat character, but there was a fascinating... she always had something going on. You, she's got very expressive eyes, and at her yeah. character, watching her character evolve through the seasons, has been such a joy. Rhea Seahorn delivering like a home run performance every week, and this week in particular, she just put on a clinic. And it's such a 
such an interesting character because she she gets bored of her job working for this big bank. She's a lawyer representing the bank, and and she's just getting tired of the whether it's boredom or whether it's just helping you know uh, this company make more money. She wants to do good work and help people. She's taking all these pro bono cases. And yet, she seems to have this, either it's a dark side or it's a fascination with being bad, right? Like, when she would do those cons with yeah. Jimmy early in the season, she loved it, right? Like she, I think she likes to take a trip on the wild side, and I kind of fear that that's ultimately what's going to, if she does go, that's what's <laughs> going to push her over the edge, right? Like, she's going to take one step too far. On the yeah, or scream at Lalo one time too many or something like that, because that guy's not putting up with anything he doesn't want to put up with. But that's been the fascination, and that is by far the biggest card that they are holding with this show is what happens to Kim at the end. And that's why I brought up the Nebraska thing, because it's like if he's in Omaha, maybe she's in Omaha too, and maybe, you know, Gene, his all third alter ego at that point in the future, can somehow, you know, have a relationship still with Kim. I mean, we don't know. We've got, what, 11 more episodes and we'll find out. Yeah, did, and I, I don't, did Kim, was she ever mentioned in Breaking Bad? I don't remember. Uh, because no. they, they didn't really delve into his personal life at all on that show. No, the, she was, I've, I've, I don't, I'm not saying this because I know this, but I've read that she is definitively not mentioned, but I think someone went through it all and said there's nothing in Breaking Bad that like definitively proves that he doesn't go home to her every night. That could be the case, and he just never talks about her with uh, Brian Cranston, you know. So that, so that's again, it's they could literally do whatever they want with the character and with the Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul team. We know it's going to be something very compelling to watch. So if you watched Breaking Bad, but for whatever reason did not get into Better Call Saul, then you should. You can get caught up on the first four seasons on Netflix. Season five will eventually arrive. Uh, you can probably watch some of the episodes on demand on your PVR for season five. I would, I would guess they're available on demand, but I can't. They are. Uh, I know on my cable I looked it up in the first four. I think four or five were there. Okay. Because because I had a buddy who was in that exact same position. He told me last week, yeah, I'm all caught up on, or I'm getting almost all caught up on Netflix with Better Call Saul. He's like, but I forgot to start recording the new season on AMC when it started. So I don't know. I haven't looked ahead. There's a possibility if you have cable, look ahead. Maybe they'll run the whole season before the finale in the over the next few days or something like that. But. Okay. But yeah, it's just, it's so good. It is so good. And this last episode with the, the confrontation between Kim and Lalo, my jaw was on the floor and <laughs> that, that I, I just saw all kinds of people tweeting about it. Like that's the end. That's the Emmy winning performance right there. Uh, hey, as we record this, it's th- oh. Thursday afternoon, almost one o'clock. This uh, thing that just came on the wire. Yeah. You want to read it? No, you read it. It's an obituary. It's uh, Brian Dennehy, the burly actor who started in fil- starred in films as a macho heavy and later in his career won plaudits for his stage work in plays by William Shakespeare, Anton Chekhov, Eugene O'Neill, and Arthur Miller, has died. He was 81 years old, died Wednesday night of natural causes in New Haven, Connecticut, uh, according to the actor's representatives. Hey, up I ne- just, Go ahead. Sorry, I, I just watched uh, Tommy Boy last week, and he's in it. He played uh, Chris Farley's dad. And, well, not to put too fine a point on it, he dies in that movie, too. Anyways, but when he popped up on screen and he had a big smile and I hadn't seen him in several years in anything, I was like, oh, my God, I love Brian Dennehy. So that's a 
That's a legitimate bummer that he's passed on now. Up next, we'll tell you about this week's episode of Survivor Winners at War and why it was so special. And I'll tell you about the latest show that I'm watching on Netflix that I just can't get enough of. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and now we're going to take a look at what happened this week on Survivor. Everybody's been lying to everybody. I don't know what's going on. Tony is trying to play double agent. I want to do damage, man. Whatever Tony says, this is what we're doing. Period. Yeah. Come to inside, you kid. Who's there? Everybody. I'm going to be golden if I can pull this off. We'll find out this coming week if Tony can pull it off. He was one of the big winners this past week, where the usual format was thrown out the window, at least for the first half of the show, because the gang showed up for a reward challenge, and their families did too. It's time to lay down your weapons. Who do you want to see? Come on out. While so many of us are separated from family, it's an episode of Survivor that really hits home. This is a fantasy come true. New Survivor, Wednesday, 8, 7 central on CBS. Usually each player gets one family member to show up. This time they let everyone come. So for the first time ever, there are a bunch of kids running around the Survivor beach. These things are usually a cry fest anyways, but adding all the kids to it made the tears flow even harder, both on the show and for people watching, I'm sure. It was definitely the case of my house. And then... To top it off, there was no cruel challenge or fallout from the challenge where people are ripped away from their loved ones. As soon as I saw the kids, I thought, maybe they'll just let them all stay because it'd be mean to do that with kids. The kids will start crying and that's bad TV. So that was a nice surprise. And then they cut over to Extinction Island and they let all the family visits happen over there for those people as well. And all that literally took up the first half hour of the episode. The second half, back to the regular format. There was a challenge based on patience and steadiness that somehow Tony won. Then a bunch of plotting back at camp where it got crazy again and then got crazier yet at Tribal Council with Jeremy playing his walk away from the vote card. Sarah stealing a vote from Denise and then Kim playing an idol for Denise which ended up being a good idea but towards the wrong person Denise did get a couple of votes but Tyson got a lot more and away he went again so what did you think of all that Brent? Uh, well, the, the, first of all, the loved ones stuff, when I saw that they brought their kids, I thought, oh my god, they kids? Like, they never bring kids. Yeah. And the, when they let them all stay, I thought, man, this is... It was timely, it was touching, it was poignant, and I think it was an important episode for us to watch right now because so many of us miss our families and miss our friends. We can't be close to our loved ones, so to get to see this survivor family and its extended family with all the kids running around, it was super emotional. Yeah, I cried a lot. And then if you stayed on till the very, very end, after they did the next time on Survivor clip that we heard at the beginning of the segment here, where they would usually have the exit interview in a non-Extinction Island season, that showed the jury getting up to walk out from Tribal Council, and Boston Rob just throws a thank you at Jeff Probst for the visit from the kids, and then they all just piled on Probst and had a group hug, and I'd never seen that before, and I almost wonder if they didn't throw that in in editing just in the sort of 11th hour now because of the pandemic knowing what a touching episode they had on their hands and how affecting it would be for everyone yeah and hey i i'm kind of with you i usually hate the loved ones bit i i skip through it because it's just it feels so contrived but this having the kids there i think just changed everything and then letting them all hang out it was uh it was just wonderful man like survivor winners at war we keep saying it it's the best season yet (laughs) but this is there's there's a reason why this remains one of the most 
most popular shows on TV, particularly in Canada. This was an awesome episode of Survivor. Absolutely. And uh, I... There must be a few more episodes to go, obviously. They're not done yet. Yeah, the, finale's on, yeah, the season finale is May 13th. And that will air on Global TV. You can also get caught up on demand or on the Global TV app. Hey, just want to quickly tell you, I started watching a show this week on Netflix. At one point late last week, I saw it was number two on Netflix's top ten in Canada. Now it is number four. It's called Money Heist. Quiero proponerte un negocio. Oh yeah, it's in Spanish. You could change you could change the language to English, but that's just awful. Give me the original language, especially one as lyrical as Spanish. What a joy to listen to. Here's the synopsis. A criminal mastermind who goes by the professor has a plan to pull off the biggest heist in recorded history to print billions of euros in the Royal Mint of Spain. To help him carry out the ambitious plan, he recruits eight people with certain abilities who have nothing to lose. The group of thieves take hostages to aid in their negotiations with the authorities who strategized to come up with a way to capture the professor. As more time elapses, the robbers prepare for a showdown with the police. I have to admit, I'd never heard of Money Heist. Uh, just since last week, it's the first time. It's been on Netflix since late 2017. It first aired in Spain as a 15-episode limited series told in two parts, but Netflix cut it down to 22 shorter episodes and released that in two parts. 13 episodes for part one, nine episodes for part two. Part three is eight episodes, as is part four, which was released April 3rd, hence why it's trending, I guess. There's also a documentary, Money Heist the Phenomenon. I'm 12 episodes into part one, and this is just about as entertaining as anything I have ever watched. I kid you not. It is thrilling. It is masterfully written. Has incredible character development. I love it. So highly recommended that you check out Money Heist on Netflix. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Get the podcast. Wherever you find podcasts, if you're not listening to this on podcast, if you're listening to it on the radio right now. And remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.